Second Peter chapter three. We only have one more week uh, in this essentials series that we are starting out the new year with. And uh, today is the next to last message in this series from Second Peter chapter three, verses 14 through 18. And let me say to you that personally, this passage means so much to me. Uh, this is probably the passage that God has used over and over again in my life to encourage my own spiritual growth in God. And this has been the passage that for the last 30 plus years as a pastor, that God has used to motivate and inspire me as a pastor to promote spiritual growth amongst God's people. If you know anything about me and my ministry and you know anything about our church here at the Oasis, that that is the value of, of, of us. That we are all about growing and continuing to grow in, in the Lord. And uh, that's what this passage is talking about today. Why we need to have that mindset and perspective and, and what we need to be focused on while we are here on earth. I want to begin, though, with this. In the very last verse of this letter that Peter writes, he uses a phrase that no one else uses in the entire Bible. Uh, I want you to direct your attention to the phrase at the very end of verse 18, where he talks about, on that eternal day. And, and it's a phrase that really reminds us of sort of the first day of forever. And that as Christians, God always wants us to be living here in light of eternity. In light of the first day of forever. In fact, it's always a good reminder to us as Christians, even sitting here or standing here on a Sunday in church, to think about this every once in a while. What if this was the last day I ever spent on earth? What if tomorrow I was in heaven and I was on sort of my first day of forever? What if this was the last church service I was ever in on earth? What if this was the last time I ever had to worship on earth before I worshiped the Lord in heaven? What if this is the last opportunity I have? How would that change the way I uh, am engaged today and, and knowing that this, this is it, that the next time I, I see folks, I, I'm going to be in, in glory with the Lord. This is why Peter uses this phrase, on that eternal day. Because at the end of verse 18, he talks about how as our lives as followers of Jesus Christ should be lived in unceasing praise and worship of God. And then he says, both now and on that eternal day. And he's trying to remind us, look, God certainly wants us to, to worship Him and live for Him now. But it's also about having that perspective and mindset that that I'm not living for the here and now. I'm living for what God has promised is to come. Which is why then, if you go up to verse 14, and we begin looking down through this passage, he starts out with the word, therefore, which always in the Bible points back to just what has previously been taught. And what Peter has basically told us in these last 
uh, few verses leading up to verse 14 of chapter 3 is that one day God is going to cremate the universe as we know it. And that's what the Bible says. In verse 14, or excuse me, in, in verse 11, all these things in heaven and earth that we see around us are going to be melted Literally cremated, if you will, by God. The heavens and earth that we know of today will no longer exist. And then he comes all the way down to verse 13 and says, but as Christians, we understand, well, that's not the end. No, God has promised that once he, in a sense, cremates the present universe as we know it, he's making a new heavens and a new earth in which only righteousness dwells and in which you and I can spend eternity with him in. Now, in light of that, then Peter picks it up in verse 14 and says, Therefore, dear friends, since you are waiting for these things, strive to be found at peace without spot or blemish when you come into his presence. In a sense, Peter is saying to us, Christians, what are you waiting for? And he's not using that term as we may use it as far as trying to build up some kind of urgency in someone's life to do something. He's literally saying, what are you waiting for? The word waiting here means to be expecting, to be anticipating, to be looking for. He's saying, as believers... We should always be looking, anticipating, and expecting this new heaven and earth that's coming and the disintegration, if you will, the cremation of the present heaven and earth as we know it. And what, again, God tries to do when he reveals this truth to us is to get what he's saying to us is going to happen ahead of time to affect the way we live in the here and now. In other words, he's saying to us, why would you spend so much time and energy and effort on the present world? Because everything that you and I look around at, it's not going to exist. It's going to be melted. It's going to be cremated. It's going to be done away with. Should not we be investing and living primarily for eternity, for eternal things? If you and I have gotten caught up in the world, the physical material world, and what this world offers us, then what Peter is saying is, then you're not really waiting for what God's promised. Either you don't believe what God has said, either you think things are just going to continue to exist as you know it to be, that nothing is ever going to change, and your life and the world as you know it is just going to continue to go on ad infinitum, Or else, you believe that up here, if you will, but it's not really ever affected the way you and I live our lives. And that's why then Peter says, if we are waiting for these things to happen, should not we be striving for certain things? The word strive here is an important word. It means to fully apply oneself. To exert oneself. To be diligent. See, the Bible doesn't paint a picture for us as followers of Jesus Christ as being passive. Just sort of letting life happen and, and, and let our walk with God happen and let our spiritual growth happen. Peter's saying, guys, 
if, if the present heaven and earth is going to be cremated and everything that we can see around us is going to be gone one day and God has promised us a new heaven and new earth that we're going to dwell with Him in, then shouldn't we be exerting ourselves and fully applying ourselves and building some diligence into our walk with God? Shouldn't, shouldn't what we know is going to happen really sort of heighten how we live our lives and that we get committed and get devoted and get consecrated to what really matters instead of getting caught up in the things that one day will not matter and won't last. And then Peter uses the language in verse 14 that we talked about last week. So I'm not going to rehash all of that. But basically what Peter is saying here is, strive to be wholly His. We talked about that last week. Becoming whole. W-H-O-L-E. And the only way the Bible says you and I become whole is when we are becoming wholly His. When we are letting go of the things that God wants us to let go of in our lives and where we are taking hold of and taking up the things that God wants us to take hold of and take up and to take on, if you will. These are the ways we become wholly His. And he says, should not we be exerting ourselves, showing diligence, fully applying ourselves to becoming holy gods? Because in the end, on that first day of forever, isn't that what's really going to matter? You know, many times even as Christians, when we think about heaven and eternity, one of the things that we wonder what I'm going to do even that first day in heaven. Did you ever think about that as a Christian? What am I going to do the first day I get to heaven? I think Peter is looking at it a little bit even differently. He's saying... Christian, I don't want you to think about what you're going to be doing the first day in heaven. I want you to be thinking about what you'd be thinking about the first day in heaven. In other words, when you're there, and you and I, all of us are going to be at some point face to face with Jesus. And we're going to see this glorious place called heaven. The abode of God, where God has dwelt forever. And where we look around and we see these beings called angels that we've only read about in the Bible. These strange creatures, some of them, the seraphim and cherubim. And then when we look around the expanse of heaven and we see these people that we've read about from the Bible. And we're able to see them and meet them and Then we see people, the Bible says, from every tribe, every race, every nation, every tongue and dialect that's ever existed on earth there. What will we be thinking? Will we be thinking, I wish I would have invested more in stuff. Or, I wish I would have even been busier to where I couldn't read my Bible And I couldn't pray, and I could never come to church, and I I never served, and I never really got involved in any kind of ministry or anything. Is that what I'm going to be thinking? (laughs) I think what Peter's saying is, no. See, when we get to the first day of our forever, 
And we're in heaven on that eternal day. And we're experiencing all this stuff. I think what we're going to be thinking is, I should have applied myself a little bit more spiritually. I should have exerted myself a little bit more. I I should have been more diligent in my walk with God. I should have made my relationship with God more of a priority in my life, not less. And that's why Peter is talking to us the way he is here in this final word of Peter to the followers of Jesus Christ. Notice what he says in verse 15. And he says, look, I know you as Christians, if you've been in church and you've, re- you've heard about things changing and, and God creating a new heaven and earth and wiping out the present heaven and earth and coming back. And all, I know you've heard about that for a long time. And just like anything that we continue to hear about, sometimes because we hear about it so much, it loses its effect or impact on us to the point where it's like as Christians, he was like, yeah, 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 I know Jesus is coming one day. Or even I, I know I'm going to die one day, or I know I'm going to be in heaven one day and all this is going to change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Peter is saying, but guys, don't look at God's delay at changing this present world or coming again to get you to go back to be with him in heaven. Don't, don't think of it in a way that's affecting you negatively. Think of it as the opportunity that God is giving us and many others to sort of get our spiritual life and spiritual house in order. Notice what Peter says. And regard the patience of our Lord, the forbearance, the long-suffering as salvation. And folks, he isn't just talking there by using that term as the reason why God hasn't come back yet is because maybe there's a few more people that are going to accept Christ. Can that be applied here? Absolutely. But remember, in the New Testament, the word salvation means more than just someone accepting Christ as their Savior. It's talking about that full range of our salvation experience where even as Christians, we are being rescued throughout our Christian life and delivered and saved, if you will, from so much by God. And so he's saying, don't you realize that the opportunity that God is giving you that things haven't changed yet is opportunity for you and I to get our lives on track with God and to to get our spiritual house in order and our lives in order and begin to truly live as we should as followers of Jesus Christ? I mean, think about the restraint of God. Way more restraint than you and I would have. Because if you and I were in the position of God and we look down at an earth that we created and people that we created, And we were hearing everything that they said about us. And many of them even saying, I don't exist. And I could care less if you do exist. I'm living my life my way. And and God, you can't do anything about it. And, And I don't believe in a heaven or a hell. And I don't believe in Jesus and all this. How easy would it be for you and I to, I'll show you. I'm coming now. Then you'll see. No, see, not God. Even though God would be perfectly justified in breaking into this world and showing people, I'll show you. I'll vindicate myself. 
And those who follow me, no, he holds off. And he holds off for very good reason. Because there might be just a few people that need to give their heart to Jesus Christ before he comes. And there might be a few Christians out there that truly have not been diligent in their walk with God and fully applying themselves and exerting themselves to the things that really matter. And God is saying, I'm giving you time. I'm giving you opportunity to get the things in your life that need to be there and to let go of some of the things in your life that shouldn't. That's what Peter's saying. Then he says, Now I realize some of these things that we're talking about here, he says, even our dear brother Paul wrote to you about these things. According to the wisdom given to him. Speaking of these things in all his letters, some things in these letters are hard to understand. Can I say hallelujah? Is that not an encouragement to every Christian? In other words, even Peter says, you know, some of those things Paul wrote were difficult to grasp. Now he doesn't say impossible, but he says, they're, they're a little bit difficult to wrap your mind around. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to ultimately be our teacher. But then notice what he goes on to say. Even though there are some things that Paul wrote about that are hard to understand, they're not impossible. But here's what happens. There are those out there who are ignorant. That word literally in the original means untrained or untrainable. In other words, they're not willing to enter into God's gymnasium, if you will, and work out spiritually. They've never been willing to be part of God's training program for their lives. They've never been a disciple of Jesus Christ. Okay? And then he says, unstable. Now, obviously, that's a little bit easier for us. It mirrors more what the English... simply means unsteady or unsettled. And notice what he says these folks do when they have not experienced spiritual growth in their lives. He says they begin to twist to their own destruction the Word of God, as they also do the rest of God's Word, the Bible. The word twist is a really interesting word. It literally means to dislocate. And it was used to describe torture, where people throughout history would be tortured by being put like on a rack or something and literally having their their bones and stuff popped out of joint or dislocated. And what Peter is saying is, here's what people do. When they're not in a spiritually healthy place, and they're not growing, and they're not fully applying themselves spiritually, here's what they do with the Word of God. Instead of letting the Word of God be their authority, and in a sense coming down on them, and then saying, okay God, whatever you say, I'm going to conform my life to your Word. I'm not going to try to make your word fit my life. I'm going to, I'm going to let your word speak. And whatever your word says, then I've got to be the one to adjust. I've got to be the one to change. I've got to be the one to fit your word. 
But see, what Peter's describing is something really different and something that's happened in Bible times and something that continues to happen today, even within the confessing body of Christ. And that is this. Instead of having that attitude, it's the attitude of, I want to live my life this way. And therefore, instead of me coming to the Word of God and letting the Word of God speak to me and I change or I conform to it, I'm starting to learn enough about the Word of God and to know it enough that I can begin to twist it to fit how I want to live to make me feel okay. I can justify anything with God's Word. I can rationalize anything with God's Word. See, people can take the Word of God and they can basically twist it, dislocate it, take it out of its context, and make it say whatever they want it to say. So that there's no conviction, they don't have to change anything or conform to anything. They basically can live however they want to live. And then they can twist, misapply, misinterpret, take verses out of context and make it fit their life so that they can stay living the way they are and be okay with it. We all have to be very careful that we never get caught up in that kind of error. And see, here's the, here's the sobering thing. To actually be able to do that requires some basic Bible knowledge. In other words, he's not talking here to people who just were Christians or who have a very, you know, minor understanding of the Bible. He's talking to people here who have somewhat of a of an understanding and grasp of God's Word enough to be able to twist it to fit them rather than the other way around. And notice again what Paul or what Peter says here. When people begin to twist the Scriptures, they do so to their own destruction. The word means ruin or loss. In other words, Can people make the Word of God say whatever they want it to say? Absolutely. But will there be consequences? Absolutely. You and I don't mess with God's Word and get away with it. We don't don't take the Word of God out of context and, and we don't twist it and turn it and distort it and pervert it for our own ends and somehow think we're going to Get away with it. It doesn't happen, folks. And it doesn't matter who we are. I don't care who we are. No one, no human being stands in authority over the Word of God. The Word of God always stands in authority over us. And can I tell you, my blood started to boil last night. My wife will tell you, I... When on national television, because I usually at least try to catch the news, the local news and the national news, I'm watching the national news. And I hear this story about this pastor in Atlanta 
who basically has gotten up in front of all his followers and said, now I need you to give me $65 million so I can buy a private jet for my ministry and jet around the world. I need that. And here's the sad thing, folks. People who have given him money and his ministry money over the years, I hope none of you, and if you are, cut it off. How to, and they're, they're getting away with it. Now, I will say this. Are there some people who've stood up and called him out for it? Yeah. And let me tell you, I'm going to be one. He's a false teacher. He's an embarrassment to Christ and his church for the false teaching that he is disseminating out there. And it's time that we realize that there's error out there. And there's people, pastors, Bible teachers, Christians, who are twisting the Word of God for their own ends. And it's not only causing their own destruction and loss, it's causing a lot of other people's destruction and loss. I've said this to you before, and I say it again in love. Be careful about what ministries and Bible teachers and pastors that you are supporting with your investments. Make sure that they are doctrinally sound and that they're not twisting Scripture and distorting it. Because the Bible basically tells us if we're supporting false teachers, then we get, we're part of the destruction and loss that they're causing. And Peter's telling us to beware of the very same thing. Therefore, verse 17, Dear friends, since you have been forewarned, since God has told you about this ahead of time, can I tell you, isn't that cool that God tells us about some things ahead of time? I mean, we might not think that God tells us everything we want to know about the future, But God would say, I've told you everything you need to know about the future to, again, make life on earth what it needs to be for you. So since God has revealed these things to us beforehand, notice what Peter says. Be on your guard. The words mean to stay alert, stay vigilant, stay focused, stay undistracted. Again, it's a military term for a soldier at their post at all times, never falling asleep on duty. Because not only do their lives depend on it, but the lives of all those around them depend on it too. Are we on guard as Christians? Because he says there's always the possibility at any time for us to be led astray by the error of these unprincipled men and fall from your own firm grasp on the truth. Folks, if that wasn't possible, God would have not said it. God is saying, there's not a one of us, if we're not careful, that is not susceptible to be led astray by someone else. There's not a one of us that it's not possible for us to fall from a firm grasp of the truth, from the spiritual stability and soundness and foundation that God wants to build into our lives. All of us are susceptible at all times. 
I'm susceptible. That's why I've got to keep growing. That's why I've got to stay close to the Lord. Because at any point that I stop growing and stop exerting myself and fully applying myself, I become very vulnerable to error and to being led astray and to be taken down a path or pulled from the right path by someone else in my life. And I think one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about this is as a pastor for 30 plus years. I've seen this over and over and over and over again. Christians who were going down the road of spiritual growth and they were making progress and they allowed someone to begin to speak into their life that wasn't on the up and up. They had a selfish agenda or they had impure motives or they had a life or a lifestyle or something that they were using the scriptures to twist and distort and dislocate and pervert and all that. And they allowed them to speak into their life and influence them and it carried them off the path. And many of them never got back on. Or if they did finally get back on the right track, think of all the time that went between them getting off the right track and getting back on was lost. And think of this now from the other perspective. The responsibility then that this is teaching us that we have as Christians to make sure that we are cutting the word of God straight and that whatever biblical advice and teaching and all of that that we are giving is right. Because how much damage and ruin and loss could we give to someone else if we give them bad biblical advice? If we take verses out of context, if we're not sharing with them accurately and correctly the Word of God, we can blow up their life too. Just like our life can be blown up by others. This is why I try to get Christians to see this is why you got to be in a church consistently that encourages you to keep growing and becoming more familiar and acquainted with the Scriptures and why you and I as individuals have to dedicate ourselves and fully apply ourselves and exert ourselves and be diligent in getting in to the Word of God. Because at any time, at any time in our Christian life, we can be led astray. At any time, we can fall from that firm grasp of the truth that we once had. So here's what Peter says. But grow. There's the answer, folks. That's the answer. Grow. Keep increasing. Keep progressing. Keep developing your Christian life. Don't ever stop growing. The word grow here is in the present. In other words, present tense. There's never a time as a Christian. I don't care whether I've been a pastor, how long I've studied the word, how long I've been growing. There never comes a time in Jeff Royce's life until I stand 
in heaven with Jesus that I should stop having the desire to grow. Spiritual growth should always be the priority of my life. And then he says, grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The grace gives me the strength, the desire, the enablement, uh, the empowerment to grow. And so God is saying, look, I'll give you my grace. I'll give you my grace if you humble yourself and you come and you ask and you seek me. I'll give you the grace that you need to grow. And then he says, but I'll also give you and have given you the knowledge. And what he is saying there is, any knowledge that I've given you here is all you need. So don't go outside the parameters of the wisdom and revelation of God. Because you don't need, I don't need any more than this to grow. In fact, Peter has already told us that. Flip back real quick to 2 Peter chapter 1. Look at what he says in verse 3. 2 Peter 1, 3. Peter says, I can pray these things because his divine power has bestowed on us everything necessary for life and godliness through the rich knowledge of the one who called us by his own glory and excellence. Everything necessary. Everything necessary. I don't need other knowledge. What I need to do is plumb the depths of the knowledge that he's already given me. I never need to go outside of this to grow as a Christian, Peter says. He's already given me everything I need to grow. And then he ends with, to him, to Christ, be the honor, the unceasing praise and worship both now and on that eternal day. The first day of forever. I don't know what I'm going to be doing the first day I get to heaven. But I think I know myself well enough to know that one of the things that I'll be thinking about is, wow, God, I, I could have even exerted myself or applied myself to grow more, but I'm glad I at least grew and focused on my spiritual growth as much as I did. I'm glad I made it a priority in my life. As you think about what would you be thinking that first day you get to heaven, Is there something right now even that God is impressing upon you in your life to change? Something to take on? Something to let go of? That God is saying, look, when, when you get to that first day of forever, you're going to be glad you made that decision. When, when you get to heaven, you're going to be so glad you made that choice. 
What would that be in your life? What would that be in my life? This is why Peter writes these very passionate words as the very final words he ever writes as the apostle of Jesus Christ. Grow, he says, and never stop growing. Will you and I recommit ourselves to our spiritual growth today and say, God, let me let go of what are not as important in my life And let me begin to take hold of the priorities and what's really important. And what on that first day in heaven, I'll be so glad I did then. Help me to do it now, God. Help me to do it now. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you for these reminders. God, they're so helpful and so needed in our lives. It's so easy for us to get caught up in this world that won't even exist one day. And God, it's so easy for us when we're not continuing to grow to get led astray into error. Begin to allow people into our lives to speak into our lives and influence us that takes us down a path that isn't as spiritually as healthy as the one we're already maybe on. God, help us to stay focused. Help us to stay undistracted. Help us, Lord, to live each day in light of eternity. And to think, God, every once in a while about Am I going to be glad the first day I get to heaven because I made that choice or made that decision? God, we we need you. We know we can't do this on our own. And so, God, we cry out to you, Lord, help us to be who we need to be. Help us to grow, God, because we know that, Lord, with you, there's nothing that we can't accomplish. We will grow. And we will always have that firm grasp, that solid, steady, settled spiritual foundation in our lives from which no one can wrest us from. God, help that to be true in our lives and help that to be true even for us as a church, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.